0: Thank y'all, wow, always good to praise the Lord, isn't he worthy, how do you understand that um, Jesus is the only one worthy of our worship, and I'm thankful tonight we've been given the privilege and opportunity to do just that. Take your Bibles, turn with me please to Hebrews chapter number 7, I do want to say good evening to all of you and welcome you to our Wednesday night Bible study. And I also want to say thank you for making the choice to come be a part of the study of of the Word of God this evening. And that's exactly what you've done. You've made the choice to be here, just as those who are not here have made the choice to not be here for whatever reason. And and as your pastor, I always want to encourage you to choose wisely. Choose wisely about what you do for the Lord when God gives you the opportunity and the privilege to do it. And Tonight, I'm thankful that you've made the wise choice to come and be a part of what God has for you right here. You say, Rosal, how do you know this is the wise choice? I mean, there's a lot of other things we could be doing tonight, and you're right. There are a lot of other things. But let me tell you how I know this is the wise choice for you. Number one, we've been given the privilege and the opportunity of praising, honoring, glorifying, worshiping, and serving Jesus right here this evening. Can you see into that? And folks, there's nothing more important and there's nothing more powerful than that. We've already worshiped Him in song. We're going to worship Him in preaching and teaching the truth of the Word of God. We're going to worship and serve Him in praying. We're going to do all that together tonight as we come before the Lord. So we've been given that great privilege and that great opportunity. Number two, we have been given the privilege and the opportunity of getting a hold of God's truth from His Word. Now folks, I am convinced. matter of fact, I know that every time we come together as the people of God, and we get into the truth of the Word of God, the Bible promises that God's Word, His truth, will never return void. That means it will go out and accomplish exactly what it's meant to accomplish. And I've experienced it in my life, I hope and pray that you have in yours as well, that when I come to the uh, to uh, worship just like this, to corporate worship, and I'm under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, and I ready my heart and ready my mind to come and receive what God has for me, then I never leave disappointed. I know God has something for us right here tonight if we're ready to receive it. If you believe it, say amen. So we've been given that great privilege, that great opportunity to get a hold of God's truth. Let me tell you something else. We've been given the great privilege and opportunity of being in God's presence with His people in this place. See, the Bible says where two or three are gathered, He is in the midst. That means he's here with us tonight. There's a sweet spirit in this place because he is here. And for that, we say praise the mighty name of Jesus. Let me tell you why. Because where the spirit of God is and the preaching of the word of God is present, I can promise you lives are changed. That's how God changes us to be what he wants us to be. Let me give you another reason why this is the wise choice. Because when you come on a Wednesday night, you get to be a a, a part of the family. You get to spend time with your family as brothers and sisters in Jesus. We can come and pray for one another. We can pray with one another. We can encourage one another. All of that is possible because of what will happen right here tonight, and I'm thankful for that. I'm glad to be here with you, and I'm thankful you've chosen wisely tonight to come and be a part of what God has for you. Now let's take our Bibles, look there in Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to dive right into the Scriptures tonight. And look at verses 5 through 15. We started last week in a brand new chapter and looked at verses 1 through 4. So tonight, Lord willing, we'll look through verse number 15 starting with verse number 5. Look what it says. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chastens not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. We gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit. Now I want to clear up something before we go any further. The Old English in the King James Version, I don't think makes that as clear as it needs to be made. But it says that um, the fathers that we had as as it pertains to the flesh chastened us with pleasure. That don't mean they enjoyed it. That just simply means that it was their will to do so, and they did it for our good. And and other translations really bear that out. But let's go on before we go any further. Verse number 11. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. Now, how many can say amen to that? Nobody likes to be corrected. Nobody likes to be disciplined. And when the discipline is taking place, nobody's like, okay, give me more of that. (laughs) It's not a joyous thing sometimes it can be a very hurtful thing sometimes it can and does cause great suffering no doubt about it so it's not joyous when it's taken place but look at the last part of this verse it's not joyous when it's taken place but it's grievous nevertheless afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby so what it says is it's not joy a joyous occasion when you're being corrected when you're being disciplined, but afterward, after you've learned from it, after you've matured because of it, then it leads to righteousness in your life and in my life. It's so important that we see that. Verse 12 Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths of your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Verse 15 says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Let's pray together. Father, again, we love you. We are so thankful for the great privilege and opportunity that you've given us to meet together tonight, to worship you, to honor you, to glorify you, to serve you, to learn from you. Lord, to get in your truth, And see what it has for us. And Holy Spirit, I'm praying that you speak to every heart exactly what is needed this evening. Where conviction is needed, we pray that you convict. Where correction is needed, we pray that you correct. Lord, where comfort is needed, we pray that you comfort. But for Lord, you know what we need better than we even know what we need. And we're asking, Lord Jesus, that you would have your way, your will tonight. Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can do in this place. And for this, we're going to praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let me talk to you just a minute about the whole um, scene that's going on here in Hebrews 12. And, it, and it's been the same since we started in the book. If you remember, I told you that the book of Hebrews was written to a group of people that were under severe persecution. And many of them being believers were ready to turn their back on Jesus and go back to the old way of doing things under Judaism because they saw that the Jews of that day were not being persecuted when the Christians were. And so they were under severe persecution and suffering. So folks, how many of you know suffering was not only a reality for believers in that day, but suffering is also a reality for each and every one of us. If we call ourselves Christians, if we call ourselves followers of Christ, then we will endure suffering. I know that's not popular to say. I know people don't like to hear that. I wish I could tell you tonight that just as long as you have enough faith that everything's going to be great for you, that you're never going to have any problems, you're never going to get sick, and you're always going to have plenty of money, and everybody's going to act right, (laughs) and everything's going to be good. But the truth is, that's not true. We will face suffering as believers for several different reasons. Why do Christians suffer? Well, number one, sometimes we suffer just because we live in a natural world. It's natural suffering. Now, you say, Roger, what do you mean by that? We live in a natural world. We live in a world that is marred by sin. If you believe that, say amen this evening. We live in a world because it is marred by sin that is filled with sickness and disease and all the things that you see wrong around you is proof that we live in a world full of sin. Now because of that, naturally, we will suffer. Each and every one of us. Nobody is exempt from it. The truth is, every one of us here tonight, with every breath we take, we get just one second older. Can you say me? I'm older now than, when, than I was when I walked into this place tonight, and you are too. And we'll be older when we, when we leave than, uh, than, than, than we are now. What I'm saying is, as the clock ticks, we're all getting older, and because of that, we will suffer natural things. That's just how it is. That's the world we live in. I'm going to get old. You're going to get old. We're going to deal with all kind of physical problems really before this thing is over with. And if you hadn't faced it yet, you will. All of us do. It's part of the world we live in. Sometimes we suffer just because of natural suffering. And that's not because God doesn't love you. It's just because it is what it is. It's where we are. It's who we are still living in this flesh. And as long as we're in this flesh, We will face natural suffering. Let me tell you another reason that sometimes Christians suffer. Sometimes Christians suffer because of persecution. Now, why are we persecuted? Well, we're persecuted because we are twice-born people in a world full of once-born people. We are persecuted because we live godly lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are persecuted because the scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 12, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And let me tell you why that is. We have a world system that is against God and against His truth. And Jesus said, if they persecute me, they will persecute you. Now it's not necessarily because of who you are, but because of whose you are. And because you are in Christ and Christ is in you, listen, your life becomes a direct contradiction of their life. Light exposes darkness, and as you shine the glorious light of the Lord Jesus Christ to the power of God, the Holy Spirit living in you and living through you, listen, that causes the world to want to persecute you. That world that is against God and against His truth, therefore against His people. Persecution happens and we endure suffering because we live godly lives. Now, if you want me to prove it to you, I'd love to. Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number 36. We looked at this a few weeks back. It's talking here about people of faith, and it says, And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, bonds of imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Now, let me ask you something. Did all of these terrible things that I mentioned in these two verses, did all of these things happen because these folks was not doing what they were supposed to be doing? Nope. These things happened to them not because they did something wrong, but because they did something right. Remember, they're in the hall of faith. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. They were living for the Lord. They were walking by faith. They trusted in the promises of God and lived out what they said they believed, and because of that, they suffered persecution. And those who live godly today will suffer persecution to some degree as well. Do you realize according to the statistics of the Voice of the Martyrs, more Christians have been martyred for their faith in the last five years than in all of the previous 2,000 years prior. It's amazing. and we don't hear a lot of that on the mainstream media, but it's happening all over the Middle East and Northern Africa right now. Those who live godly will suffer persecution to some degree. And a lot of times that's relative to where we are and who we're around and what's going on, but persecution will happen to those who stand for the Lord. Sometimes we suffer as a trial of our faith. We know that because we've read the book of Job. (laughs) Do you remember what happened with Job? The Bible says that Satan himself came before God the Father. And he says to God the Father, Have you considered your servant Job? Now really what Satan, the accuser of the brethren, was saying in this moment was Job is only serving you. Job is only loving you. Job is only following you and walking by faith because he don't have any problems. Give him some problems. Let me give him some problems and he'll curse you to your face. And it's almost like, well, it is like, God says, you don't know my servant Job. And God was right, because no matter what trial Job faced, and he faced a lot of them, he pretty much lost everything that he held near and dear uh, in his life. He lost it. His kids, his business, his home, everything. But the Bible says, When his wife was saying, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? And when his friends were saying, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? You know what Job said? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I'm not just going to love Jesus when it's convenient. I'm not just going to serve Jesus when it's convenient. I'm not just going to walk by faith when it's convenient and everything's going good. True faith serves Jesus loves jesus and follows jesus even when the chips are down can you say amen (laughs) so sometimes we suffer as a trial of our faith and those that trying of our faith the bible says the book of james works patience and then it says let patience have her perfect work that we may be perfect and entire wanting nothing now what does that mean who is the only one who's ever been perfect and entire wanting nothing Well, the Lord Jesus. So it's through the trying of our faith that God matures us and makes us more like Christ. I know that's not easy to hear sometimes. It's certainly not easy to go through sometimes. But sometimes we suffer as a trial of our faith. And then sometimes we suffer just because of chastisement. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And and that's illustrated in the word of God for us. In the book of, of, uh, of Jonah, you've all heard this story. Lord willing, when God gives me leave to do so and leads me in that direction, I'm going to preach through the book of Jonah, and I can't wait to do that. But man, Jonah, um, the Bible says that God told Jonah to go down to Nineveh. And, 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 and just that in itself blesses my soul, because how many of you know that Jonah was an Israelite who had the prophets and who had the promises of the word of God. But Nineveh was a Gentile city. And God who is gracious and God who is loving. Was willing to save the Gentile even in the Old Testament. When they were re- ready to repent and receive him. Can you say me Amen. Trust by faith in him. And God said, I want you to go down, Jonah, and I want you to preach the message of repentance down in Nineveh. But you know what Jonah said? Lord, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I'm going to Tarsus. Now, there's a problem with that because Tarsus was not on the way to Nineveh. Tarsus was in the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. It's almost like uh, Jonah was saying, well, it is like Jonah was saying, God, you've told me to go to Nineveh, but that's not what I want. I'm not going to do what you want. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to Tarsus. I'm going in the complete opposite direction. And God said, Jonah, you're not going to do it because I've told you to go to Nineveh. And so the Bible says in Jonah chapter number 1 that God hurled a storm at Jonah. Now what that means is God literally picked up a storm in his mighty hand and threw it like a fastball right at the boat that Jonah was in. When the storm got there, Jonah was thrown overboard, swallowed up by a great fish, a whale, and then three days later was vomited out on the shores of Nineveh. Well, guess what happened? He got up, cleaned himself off, and headed straight to the place God told him to go. Now, he finally got on the right path, but what it took was some correction. What it took was some discipline. Discipline. And when he got there, he preached the message God put on his heart, the message of repentance. And the Bible says that the whole city of Nineveh repented in sackcloth and ashes and trusted in the Lord. Now, all of that could have been saved if Jonah would just been obedient instead of disobedient. I want to tell you something, child of God, and we all need to hear this. A lot of the chastisement that we face in our life, could certainly be saved if we'd just be obedient instead of disobedient. We bring a whole lot of stuff on ourselves that God had never planned for us to go through. And that's really what Hebrews chapter 12 verses 5 through 15 is talking about this evening. There's three things that I want you to see. The first thing that I want you to see in this passage of the scripture is God's motive for chastisement. Why does God chasten us? I think the answer for that is first of all found in verses 5 and verse number 6. Look what the scripture says. And had you forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. Everybody say children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son, everybody say son, whom he receives. Now listen to me. According to Hebrews 12, 5, and 6, God chastens us, corrects us, disciplines us as children. Now, ladies, don't miss what the Bible is saying here. When he says sons, he's not just talking to men. He's talking to all the heirs of God. What he's do, saying is chastisement from the Lord confirms our sonship. It confirms that we are heirs to God and joint heirs with Jesus, that we are a part of the family of God and that God is Our Father, one of the greatest blessings you can ever receive is the chastisement of the Lord. Let me tell you why. That lets you know whose you are, not just who you are. Can you say amen? God deals with you as with sons when we endure chastisement. It's confirmation of sonship. Now listen to me. If you can just go out and do whatever you want to do and live footloose and fancy free according to your will and there never is any conviction or chastisement in your life, then you need to pay really close attention to what the Bible says in verses 7 and 8. Watch what it tells us right here. It says, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chastens not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. He says, you are illegitimate children. God is not your father if God doesn't correct you. Now, I didn't say that. God says that. He chastises those that are his. There have been times in our family when my kids had other children come and stay with us that they got into trouble now, that may be hard for you to believe but that did happen in our house <laughs> sometimes they did some things that they wasn't supposed to do just like all children do now, let me tell you what happened Whether it happened when everybody was still there or it happened when that child who was visiting left, I corrected mine. Sometimes I had to correct them harshly. Sometimes they got a spanking. Sometimes they got grounding. Sometimes they got things taken away from them. But they were corrected and disciplined after that other child left. And let me tell you something. I didn't correct that other child. Let me to tell you why. They wouldn't mind. It was not my place to correct that other child. But it is my place as a loving father to correct mine. And that's exactly what God is saying in Hebrews 12 five through eight. I think Anna Kate would probably tell you there was once upon a time when she had a little lady come over to our house and, and um, because they got in some trouble, she had to paint a porch the next day. You remember that, babe? And so I'm just saying, I had no authority in making the other little girl do some painting, but I couldn't make mine. And maybe that helped in correcting what needed to be corrected. That's the same thing God deals. That's exactly how God deals with us. He don't correct children that are not his. But those who are his, he will certainly correct through chastisement. So chastisement, number one, confirms our sonship. Number two, the motive that for chastisement, why God does what he does and deals with us like he deals with us is that it leads to sanctification. Look with me. There in verses 9 through 11, watch what the scripture says there. Furthermore, we have had our fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection or give reverence unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit. Everybody say profit. So what does it profit if God chastens us? Well, he tells you in this next part of the verse that we might be partakers of holiness. You know that's what God is after in your life, and that's what God is after in my life, that we would continually become more holy as followers of Christ. Let me give you a great verse. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 29. Romans 8, brothers, if you will please put that on the screen for me. And verse number 29, watch what this says. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed. Everybody say conformed. To the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. According to Romans 8:29, what is the ultimate purpose of salvation for each and every one of us? Well, I believe it to be the ultimate purpose is that we be conformed into the image and likeness of the Lord Jesus. Now, how do you know the scripture says in the book of 1 John that one day I will be just as he is? Isn't that good news? If you're a child of God, there's going to come a time in eternity that you will be just like Jesus. Now, when did that process begin? It began at the moment of salvation. At the moment of salvation, God began the process of conforming you or making and molding you into the image of his son. And that's God's ultimate purpose. Do you know that God had rather you be holy than you be healthy? Do you know that God would rather you be holy than you be happy? I'm not saying God don't want you healthy, and I'm not saying God don't want you happy, but God's main goal is that you become holy like the Lord Jesus, that you be conformed. Unto his image. A lot of people think that we get saved just so we can go to heaven. Now how many of y'all are thankful tonight we've missed hell and gained heaven because of God's amazing grace. I'm thankful this evening that I have the hope of heaven. I am thankful this evening that I know in whom I've trusted. I know that I know I've been born again in 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 the family of God. I know that my name has been written down in heaven. I am thankful that I've got the peace for living and I've got peace for dying. But I want to tell you something. Heaven is really just icing on the cake. What God wants, what he saved you for, is to make you holy, to conform you to the image of Jesus. What I'm trying to tell you is, God don't want to wait until the sweet by and by to do a fantastic, amazing, wonderful work in your life that he will do right now through the process of sanctification as he makes you more like his son. It's more than just getting to heaven. Salvation is much more than just fire insurance. Salvation is much more than just getting man out of earth and into heaven. Salvation is about getting God out of heaven and into man. And because now we are indwelled by the precious, powerful Holy Spirit, we can live the abundant life that Jesus promised to all his followers. But if we're going to do that, there must be the process of sanctification that continues throughout our life. It starts, yes, at salvation we've talked about this a lot at salvation we experience positional sanctification we go from being outside of Christ to being in Christ we go from being spiritually dead in trespasses and sins to after we've placed faith in Jesus and the holy spirit's done his supernatural work we go from being dead to be made to being made alive to being quickened in Christ can you say amen Ephesians 2 and 1. We go from the darkness to becoming a part of the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the book of 1 Timothy. So what I'm saying is, there is a process that happens at salvation, and it's positional sanctification. Our position changes. But how many of you know, practical sanctification happens each and every day? As God the Holy Spirit convicts our heart and begins to put his finger on things in our life that needs to change. Begins leading, guiding, and directing us to becoming what he wants us to be. Let me just give you an illustration of how that works sometimes. This happened to me just last week, maybe a week and a half ago. Um, I love cars. Cars have always kind of been my thing. I remember when the the first car that, that I got, it was a rust bucket, and um, my, I can remember my dad telling me, he said, right after I bought it, uh, he said, son, if you don't quit washing that car, you're going to wash what paint is left on it off, <laughs> and there wasn't much paint left on it, but I'd wash it about twice a week, and that's something I've always enjoyed, and that's something I still enjoy doing, and so when they put the new car washing in Hamilton, you know the one I'm talking about right there across from Hardee's, uh, just east of town? I was glad they did that because it's, it's a really cool deal. You go in there and pay 7 bucks, and you can wash all you want. You can stay there as long as you need to. You can use their pressure washer. You can use their, uh, their soap. You can use all of it that they have there, their vacuum. And for 7 bucks, you can really clean your car up good. And so I use that a whole lot. I go by there every so often. Well, I went by a week and a half ago, and when I got there, this is how it works. You pull up to this little kiosk, you slide your your, uh, credit or debit card, or you put cash in the machine, you push the button for what you want, and then there's an arm that raises up that lets you into this place. Now, when I got there, the arm was stuck in the up position. And I pulled up to the kiosk, pulled out my wallet, and I thought for a moment, Ain't nobody here. I mean, nobody's washing in any of the bays. Nobody's, the gas station's closed. Nobody sees me here. All I got to do is pull on through the gate, save seven bucks. Now, I could have said, God has blessed me today. With a free car wash. <laughs> but, but just in that moment, it was like God the Holy Spirit was, don't do that. And so I repented, put my card in the machine, and paid before I drove through the gate. Now why does that happen? Because God, the Holy Spirit, is alive in us and is continually working on us, working in us, and working through us to accomplish his good will and purpose. Now, it is certainly possible to ignore that. Do your own thing and go your own way. How do I know that? Refer back to Jonah. And if I'm honest, there have been times in my life when I was convicted by the Holy Spirit to do the right thing, and I did the wrong thing. Now, I know you've never done that. I mean, there have been times in my life when me and my wife, who I love very much, was having a very spirited discussion. We wouldn't fight. We don't fight. We have spirited discussions. And it was getting really spirited. And some things came to my mind that I knew it's going to be a good one. Because I know her like nobody else knows her, I know just what to say when I need to say it. And because she knows me, just like, better than anybody else knows me, she knows just what to say when she needs to say it. You know what I'm talking about? And I thought of that. And again, don't do that. And I pushed the override button and went ahead and said what I was thinking. See, we all do those things too, don't we? That doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's not working. That just means we've got to choose to listen because we still have a choice. Can you say amen? You still have free will. But we also always have to remember, listen, our sin and our disobedience, always has consequences and the law of sowing and reaping works for me just like it works for you and what we sow we will reap I was in uh, brother Ben Harris's Sunday school class a few weeks ago and we were talking about Samson Samson is listed in Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Faith but if you go back and study The life of Samson in the book of Judges, you're going to find Samson was not that good of a guy. He did a lot of terrible things. You say, oh, well, brother Israel, he still got in the hall of faith, but go back and read about what it cost him throughout his life. He missed out on God's best for him because he chose to walk in disobedience. All of us have a choice. We must, again, choose wisely. Amen? And when we don't, (laughs) that's when chastisement comes into the picture. That's when God has to correct us, must correct us. Why? Because he loves us. Now, I know what some people think. I used to think this too, that God is a cosmic killjoy, that he's a gray-haired old grandpa sitting a million miles away on a throne somewhere, and he's just waiting with a big old stick to hit us over the head when we do something wrong, and he's always trying to kill our good time. That's how the world views God. Folks, God knows what's best for you because he is a loving, heavenly father. And because he's a loving, heavenly father, not only does he know what's best. He wants what's best. And for his children, he wants to lead us into what's best. But we must be willing to follow. So what I'm telling you is if you want God's blessing, do it God's way. You want God's blessing in your family? Do it God's way. You want God's blessing in your marriage? Do it God's way. You want God's blessing in your relationship? Do it God's way. You want God's blessing in everything in your life. You can have it, child of God. But you must do it God's way. And when we don't, God still loves us so much. He said, I got to correct you here, son. You're heading in the wrong direction. See, correction (laughs) leads to the right direction. Again, refer back to Jonah. And so sometimes God has to correct us. The motive for chastisement is confirmation of sonship. The motive for chastisement it brings about sanctification. The, moment, the, the motive for chastisement, it, listen, it, it cleanses sin. Look with me there in verse number 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceful fruit of righteousness under which them uh, which are exercised thereby. And so what he's saying is, how many of you know the only thing that forgives sin is the precious blood of Jesus? That's the only thing that washes it clean. It's chastisement. The discipline and correction of the Lord that sometimes causes us to cry out for that cleansing. Amen? Now how do I know that? I'm glad you asked. Not only have I experienced it in my own life, but go back and read Psalm 51. I'm not going to flip back over there tonight. We don't have time to do it. But Psalm 51 is a perfect representation of what chastisement looks like in the life of a believer. It's when God was chastening, correcting, disciplining David for his sin with Bathsheba. Go and read it this week. It'll be a great quiet time for you. It is through... The chastisement of the Lord, that our sin is cleansed. That's the motive for chastisement. Let me, let, let's check out the manner of chastisement. How does God do it? How does God work in our lives? Look back up, if you will please, at verse number 5 to begin with. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaking to you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Everybody say rebuked. See, sometimes God can rebuke us and get our attention. Now how does that rebuke happen? Well, I hope and pray that it happens sometimes in services just like this. Let me tell you what I know about preaching the word of God. Every time I preach the word of God, it hits me first. And so every time I prepare a message, every time I get in God's truth, every time I start preparing to come out here and speak to you, I've got to get on my face before the Lord and say, Lord, I've missed it in this area. I've missed it here and I've missed it there. And as I get a hold of God's truth, God the Holy Spirit starts putting his finger on those things in my life. So please never think that I come out here and just point fingers at you because that is not my intention. We're all in this together. Can you say amen? We're all growing together and as I get a hold of this truth God the Holy Spirit convicts me and I hope as I give this truth by the power of the Holy Spirit that it convicts you and it causes us all to be better followers of Christ sometimes though all it takes is that rebuke and that's true for my kids. He uses the illustration here of a father disciplining his children, his sons. I've got some kids that all I have to do is raise my voice and as soon as I do that, big tears are well up in that eye and they'll change behavior just by speaking it. I've got others that it takes a more harsh approach. (laughs) Amen? And the same is true with us in the Lord. Sometimes, sometimes God can give a simple rebuke. And if our heart is soft and pliable and receptive, That rebuke can be enough. Sometimes it takes more, so let's go on. Then he goes on knowing from rebuke, but he, then he says chastening. Look what he says there. Verse number six. For whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth and skirteth every son that he receiveth. So first of all, he uses rebuke. Secondly, he uses chastening. Now, if you're taking notes tonight, bound beside the word chastening, I want you to write the word restriction. How you know that's sometimes how we deal with our children? You know, um, when our children disobey, uh, we do things like, hey, you can't go to, to this party with your friends, or, or, or you can't borrow the car this weekend, or you can't go on a date, you're grounded. You can't, you can't use your phone. All of those things work depending on what age your child is. You know, sometimes that can help. Now, what is God saying when he's saying chastening or restriction for us? How do you know a lot of us are living restricted lives because of unconfessed sin, because we've been disobedient. Now what I mean by that, sometimes I believe God will restrict from us the peace and joy that we can have, that we forfeit, (laughs) because of unconfessed sin in our life. He restricts all the good things that could happen if we just get right with Him. Sometimes I even believe God withholds prayers or uh, answered prayer that we've prayed and they, they are left unanswered because of restriction, because of chastisement so that he might get our attention. So there are times when God uses rebuke. There are times when God uses restriction. But let me say something else. There are times that God has used the rod. He has to to scourge us. Look at verse number 6. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges. That means he whoops your britches. He uses the rod of correction. And that can be very harsh, extremely harsh. If you don't believe me, ask Moses. You remember what happened with moses moses sinned a great spiritual sin because really what he did when he struck the rock for the water to come out was try to take god's credit try to steal god's glory and the bible says that rock was a picture in the old testament of the coming christ and because of that sin that moses committed How many of you know Moses, who led the nation of Israel out of the the bondage in Egypt and through the wilderness, didn't get to enter into, into the promised land? He missed out on God's best. That's pretty strict punishment, isn't it? I think it's even possible if we go so far that God will take us out of this world. If we bring embarrassment to him. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. And let's just start with verse number 15, brothers. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 16. Go to verse 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. So, according to verse 16, who's he talking to? Who does the Spirit of God dwell in? In Christians, in believers, in Christ's followers. Look what he says in the next verse. This is powerful. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which ye are. Does that scare you a little bit? Because it does mean. Really what that's saying is, look, if God tries to rebuke you and you won't listen, and God tries to restrict you and you won't listen, and, and then God tries to scourge you and then you won't listen, and you keep ignoring the chastening of the Lord, I believe God will destroy you. I believe he will take you out and bring you onto heaven. Why? Because you become an offense to him here. You're not helping the cause, you're hurting the cause. And I think that has happened many times, not only in Scripture, but in everyday life. I want you to see the manner of chastisement, the motive of chastisement, but also tonight we need to see the result of chastisement. I'm just going to read through this and we'll be done. Hebrews chapter number 12. Verse number 11, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceful fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So we see the result of chastisement produces righteousness in the child of God. It it changes your direction, changes your action. Verse 12, wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. You know, I, I think body language speaks very loudly sometimes doesn't it and I think that's what he's talking about here hands that hang down mean that they're walking around all slumped over like Eeyore because things just ain't going like they think it ought to go let me tell you the most miserable person on the face of the earth and I know this because I've been there the most miserable person on the face of the earth is not the lost man the most miserable person on the face of the earth is the Christian who has experienced the joy of the Lord. The Christian who has experienced the peace of God. The Christian who has experienced God working on them, working in them, and working through them, using them for his honor and his glory. It's the Christian who's experienced all the abundant life that Jesus has to offer, but is walking in unconfessed sin and forfeits all of it. That's the most miserable person in the world. Their hands hang down and their knees get weak. And what he's saying is, if you will adhere to the chastening of the Lord, to the discipline of the Lord. If you will change direction because of that discipline, repent and get it right. Then your hands don't have to hang down anymore. Your knees don't have to get weak. And like David said, you can can have the joy of the Lord restored unto you. (laughs) Verse 13, watch this. And make straight paths for your feet. That means God will put you in in the places he wants you to go, where he wants you to be. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Verse 14, What's this now. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Verse 15, I love it. Looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springs up trouble you. Now how many of you know when you walk in unconfessed sin, there'll be a root of bitterness that will grow up and choke the life out of you believer choke the joy right out of your life (laughs) keep you from being all that God wants you to be you get bitter and hateful that ain't what God wants and he says many are defiled because of it but you don't have to be I don't have to be we can pay attention to the chastisement that God brings in our life. We can pay attention to the rebuke or the restriction or even the ride, whatever it takes. Let God be God and get in line with him. Can you say amen? Because God loves you, he chastens you. Because God loves me, he chastens me. And for that, I'm thankful. Any comments or questions?